Hello, and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Chris Sands. Today, we are joined by Shannon Harris, uh, known by a lot of people as the Brew Brother or Brother on um, Instagram. Uh, he is also an very accomplished home brewer and i think it's four or five years you've been home brewing oh uh, yeah about five years now um and then also a traveling collaborative brewer that you've had the the uh privilege or the um, uh, the chance to brew with actually huge breweries throughout the country yeah, uh, about that. so thanks uh thanks for joining me and thanks for the invite, man. I know we're long overdue. We tried to do this like about two years ago. I think so. Yeah, it was when, yeah. or it was either last year or the year before. I don't know. Time is not something I have any concept of, of anymore. <laughs> but it was when you were um, you were out here brewing with Guinness. Oh shit! Yeah, damn. That was a year ago. I was thinking Fresh Fest one. And, and wow. Maybe, yeah, maybe I did. It, I mean, it is possible. I talked to you then too. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I know schedules are very difficult to meet up sometimes. It so it's that is time right now these days. I would say the only beneficial thing that has come out of um, COVID for me is that I got set up to be able to do everything virtually. So it's opened up who I can have on at any time to a much wider uh, degree. So it's great. Dude, I'm, I'm loving this whole setup here. This is like pretty damn cool, man. <laughs> What's really cool is if, if you do it live, it actually, um, on the, on the right hand side, you would see on the screen, people making comments and asking questions, oh, but I found really quickly recording an interview live while people are talking, like asking questions does not translate well to producing a podcast <laughs> and just putting out audio. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was actually, as, as I was telling you beforehand, I was hoping that it uh, will last week that I was going to be able to do this in person with you when I flew down to Austin for the beer now festival, but that got ruined. Unfortunately. So man, I have some dope stuff lined up for beer now. Also with CBC too, man, it's uh very unfortunate that that got canceled too. So I don't, I don't remember what, what were you presenting on for at beer now? Uh, for beer now, I was going to do a diversity and inclusion okay. in beer panel. And I had a, a pretty awesome group of people lined up that was going to join in on that panel. Uh, Marcus Baskerville with Weather Souls is actually yeah. supposed to be a part of that too. So, he was on last week and we actually, uh, you were, you were brought up briefly cause he, he brought up the, um, the answers, uh, black is beautiful collab. Oh, he finally mentioned me in something. Yeah. Right, I'm going to have to put him a text after this. <laughs> so that's what, when you were, when, whenever you were like, Hey, I'm free today. I was like, well, perfect. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, um, there's actually all kinds of things to talk to you about, but I think we should kick off, um, right off the bat to talk about your Kickstarter, um, for, what will be the next big phase in, I guess, your craft beer journey? Yeah, man, uh, super excited. Uh, it's Urban Jungle Brewing. Um, if anybody want to follow the Instagram account, it's Urban Jungle Brew, or you could follow us at uh, Urban Jungle Brewing on Facebook and, and 
Yeah, uh, super excited to finally get this launched off. Uh, Urban Jungle is uh, something I created a few years ago after multiple name changes. Uh, I would say the Urban Jungle name came in just recently, maybe less than a year ago. Um, but it's a it's a project that I've been working on as far as trying to really kind of shift away from the Brew Brother persona and moniker and kind of get my uh, brewing focus on as more as a brewer. Um, so I was kind of leaning that way as being a gypsy brewer at the moment. Now, uh, I kind of wanted to shift from getting the Brew Brother logo to the Urban Jungle logo on beers. So I can kind of fall in a group of other uh non brick and mortar but popular gypsy brewers such as like Horace Age Dales and Three Chiefs uh, get the Urban Jungle logo on beers. Um, it was only until honestly recently uh, after a lot of thought um, it took about majority of the year. Um, I actually was planning to launch a Kickstarter for Urban Jungle Brewing back in J January but due to my procrastination, I kind of pushed that off until February. And then I was like, you know, March is coming. And I'm like, I'm really got to get this out to the people and see if I can get some love back and a little bit of help uh, towards getting this brewery started. And then COVID hit and that kind of just screwed everything up for everyone all over the world. And with Urban Jungle uh, and the Kickstarter, it's live right now. The link is in the bio. You can go on Kickstarter. They're featuring me on their homepage. You can find Urban Jungle just by searching on it on Kickstarter or clicking the link uh, in the bio of the Urban Jungle Brew. Or I'll, um, the brew I'll add uh, links in the, in the description of the episode and to the Facebook sure. post. My man. Uh, yeah, so basically we're Urban Jungle. Uh, we are looking to start this brewery um, myself mostly, uh, but I have my wife, Tiana, that's actually going to be joining in too. Uh, she or uh, us, we're basically starting a Black-owned, farm-inspired brewery in Austin, Texas. Uh, trying to be in line with uh, Marcus Baskerville with Weather Souls, uh, unfortunately, and also, maybe fortunately, uh, he is the only black like head brewer owner in the state of Texas. So I'm looking to hopefully become the second at that and taking my talents, <laughs> not to South Beach, but to Austin, uh, as LeBron said. Uh, you know, I, I just feel that it's very passionate and being able to do those collaborations that I did with like Guinness and uh Dancing Gnome and Jay Wakefield and even local breweries here in Austin. I think it's time for me to get my own platform and shine. And why not do that in Austin, Texas, which is quote unquote one of the weirdest cities in the country. So I'm really trying to, you know, promote that diversity and inclusion into brewing beer and business ownership of a brewery here in Texas. Um, I, I think that we're a little bit far behind with a lot of things. We got some barbaric laws. We got TABC on our heels trying to make it very difficult for small businesses such as breweries uh, to survive, which is unfortunate. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just excited to really get this thing launched off the ground and hopefully the Kickstarter goal can be met. I think there's about three weeks left in it. Uh, we're about at about 23, 24% of the goal. Uh, what we're trying to raise here is about $60,000. And uh, like I said before on some Instagram lives that I've done, like I know people probably are out there like, 
man, this fool got to be crazy if he think he's going to open up a brewery with $60,000. <laughs> just to clarify that, I do not expect to open up a brewery with $60,000. The the sixty grand that we are trying to raise with the Kickstarter is going to help with uh, branding for the most part of getting the merch created, uh, which is T-shirts, hats, uh, stickers, coasters, pins, all the cool merch that we're going to get out to the people. But the main goal of the 60000 is just we got hit with a lot of stuff to become a brewery in Texas, especially as a home brewer to a brewery in Texas with no really kind of proven track record. So we got legal fees, we got licensing, we got permitting, we got building construction uh, costs that need to be paid up front before they even draft up a plan for what we expect to be a brewery. Um, So that's what those fees are really going to help with. Um, We have plans on how we're going to get the after the fact of the 60 grand of what it's going to take to really open a brewery in Texas. So right now the Kickstarter is taking off, man. Uh, we raised some good funds in the uh, past few days. Uh, just the first 24 hours, we were able to break a 10 K of that goal. So major shout out and love to everybody out there. Who's been very supportive, sharing con words and pledging towards urban jungle of uh, becoming a real brewery here in Austin, Texas. Yeah. I was going to say, you're definitely pacing, to easily meet that goal to it seemed like it dude i was actually kind of like a little nervous but like as i've been kind of watching and uh my day job is commercial real estate so i deal like numbers and money and stuff all day and i'm kind of like doing math and it's like if we kind of stay on track i think we might be able to hit that goal uh by the time it the deadline hits kickstarter um campaigns often seem to be like a reverse bell curve too like it'll start off hot cool down a little I bit and then, it, then it and then that last few days it just kicked off where we kind of try to hit it so i kind of expect that little dead zone area in the mid range but i think by the time the last couple of uh week or days that's left man i think we're going to really be able to push it um if we don't meet the goal obviously it's a bummer but we're still going to do whatever it is that we can to make sure that this brewery uh opens up and the love that we received uh from publications to uh, you, you know, featuring me on the podcast and other things like that, man. I, I'm, I'm just appreciative that the that the community is even supportive of a project like this, especially during these times. Yeah. So does um does having a like successfully raising money through Kickstarter does that help with like securing bank bank financing and um, getting other investors? Do they look at that as a positive that like you know like individuals? believe in you enough that uh they, they they're willing to take a risk too yeah so that's actually that's awesome that you brought that up you're the first one to do that so before i jumped into the case I, I watch a lot of shark tank the <laughs> <laughs> shark tank was actually one that i was kind of considering but i was like yeah i i gotta figure out how to really maneuver that to get on there but um that's funny that you brought that up because before I reached out or even decided to open a Kickstarter, I was actually looking to get like financing and loans and investors and such. And it was coming down to it of like, what do you have to show? Like if we, with the brewing community, it's a high risk. Like some breweries make it and some don't, but what makes you different and stand out? Obviously this was pre uh, COVID and also pre you know, black is beautiful where it's like, okay, now we're paying some attention to the uh, black community, especially in beer that everyone was asking, like, you know, what can you prove to us? And I really just didn't have that. Um, I was just, you know, sending, you know, I got these couple of collaborations. I'm a I make really good beer. Just give me money. 
Yeah, you know, I make beer, give me money, and they probably heard that I'm probably not the first person yeah. that comes to them with that. So it, it dawned on me, it's like, if I can do a Kickstarter and show them that, like, there is a bunch of people out there that's rooting for us and rooting for me and rooting for this brewery to be something real, and I can hit that goal, great. Like, here it is. That's showing you, like, $60,000 didn't just come from a person. Like, this is uh, quite a few. I think it was, like, 140 people uh, pledged so far, which has really took off to where Kickstarter even acknowledged as, like, you're one of our favorite Kickstarters where they like place me on their homepage. Like we are highly supportive of you and look and happy of what you're doing. And we're supportive of it too. So I think the Kickstarter is definitely going to help with investors, especially like banks and loans be like, damn, man, I think this guy got something really positive that's going on here that we will be happy to back. So I think even if we reach the goal, I think that's going to be like, great. Hey, here's your loan. How much you want? We're signing it. Here's the deal. But even if we can get half the way or even just some, I think even where we are at today is enough to show them like, damn, like, some interest. this shit has only been open for like six days and this guy's killing it right now. Yeah. So the um, one, one thing I was surprised when talking to Marcus was how like behind, at least in San Antonio, craft beer is. I imagine that like Austin's probably got to be a little bit better than San Antonio is though, right? <laughs> That is much so. Um, <laughs> San Antonio is up and coming, especially with the help of uh, Marcus at Weather Souls and the homies over there at Isla Street and uh, Black Lab uh, Brewing. They're all really pumping up the scene out there. I think before them, it was like Freetail was kind of like one of the only breweries that's out there. But Austin just has more breweries per capita and a bigger range of diverse, or I'll say not diverse, but a, a different stance of like how different breweries can be in Austin. I think if I remember correctly, I haven't checked the numbers recently, but I believe we definitely have more breweries in San Antonio. That's for sure. But we should have more breweries in Houston and Dallas as well, too, who are up and coming cities in Texas as well. I mean, yeah, I would think so. Cause like Austin is often listed as one of those destinations that you exactly. go to for craft beer. People gonna tell you they're going to visit Austin for a vacation and party. Then they going to nobody say I'm, I'm going to San Antonio. Yeah. Party. <laughs> no offense to anybody out there. Well, that's what, when I was talking to him, when, when he said how, and I can't remember right now either how many breweries there were in San Antonio, but I believe it was fewer than what tiny little Frederick, Maryland has. So, wow. and I can't remember how many millions of people he said are in San Antonio and like Frederick has I like tens of thousands in the city. <laughs> so it, it, I was like, wow, San Antonio has got some real catching up to do. I thought Maryland was bad. <laughs> It's also because of Texas, man. I mean, just recently, what, September of last year, we were able to pass a law of beer-to-go sales where a lot of breweries wasn't even allowed to let you leave their premises with the beer. Yeah, see, and we're, we're not that much further ahead. Uh, I think yeah. that that only started, well, you could, you could get beer-to-go, but it was like a super low limit. So mm-hmm. a lot of places just didn't even. Um, and then you couldn't, you five or... No, wait, like six years ago, I think you couldn't have a beer at a brewery. Like wow. you, you couldn't buy a pint of beer in a tap room. So almost no one had um, tap rooms or if they did, they were really tiny and they were just there if people showed up and wanted a tour and then they could do a tasting. But it was the, the Maryland laws were really archaic, not too long ago. Wow, man. Then, then I guess y'all came a long way just like we did. I remember the days when I first came to uh, Texas where 
like crawler machines and canning machines were illegal. Like TABC was breaking in the breweries to snatch them away. And that's what kind of brought Oscar Blues here to be like, hey, man, like we kind of started this old wave of crawlers. Like we're going to fight and advocate to make this shit legal. But yeah, man, it, it was tough. I remember even when I first, before I even moved here, my very first time coming to Austin, yeah, it was like breweries wasn't allowed to sell you beer. So they sold you glasses and a beer tour. Yeah. But it came with pours, but you were technically paying for the glass. Yeah, they, the- they, it was the same thing in Maryland. They tried to come up with all kinds of creative way, creative ways to, <laughs> to sidestep whatever the law was. But it, thankfully, through a lot of um, legislate like uh, lobbying and a lot of uh, battles in our state house, that that it's been greatly improved. Yeah, same here, man. Well, congrats to y'all. So. So you you had said that um, you would only be the second black brewery owner in Texas. Do you do you happen to know what the the ownership across the whole country is? I mean, I know it's still Um, it's still pretty low, right? uh, I I could give a hard range because I'm sure things are happening. Yeah, there's always every single day. But last time I checked, man, I think there's about. 8,000, breweries in the country total. Mm-hmm. And about 60 of those are actually black owned. Yeah, And so that's less than 1% of breweries across the country. And the, the even to dive deeper in that, I think uh, out of those 60s, at least half or even even more don't even have a brick and mortar yet. Oh, okay. So they're, yeah. they're like doing a lot of like the same of what you're doing. They're doing the same what I'm doing, raising funds, doing collaboration, yeah. trying to build their brand and raise more capital and funding to be able to open a uh, brick and mortar. I think one of the newest uh, brick and mortar breweries that are black owned is called Hip and Hops in Georgia. That's an um, awesome name. <laughs> yeah, so they just opened up, got a dope brewery system. They're actually uh, ISO in search of a uh, head brewer for their brewery right now. Um, but that's a new one. Um, yeah, so, man, it, it's a real struggle out here about minorities in general just being uh, in the beer industry and owning breweries. I mean, there's not even that many women that own brewery or LGBTQ plus, uh, you know, people that own breweries as well, yeah. too. It's just one of those industries that's just kind of been uh, shifted into what it is. And I don't think it was intentional. I never want to come off and say, like, you know, it was intended to be a yeah. uh, white male dominated industry. It's just that's just how the cars played. And it, it all goes back to, like, how black people and minorities can be funded by banks and stuff for loans and uh, you know, we just didn't have those same opportunities. And the way that beer was kind of shifted to black people over the years and shit a long time is that, you know, we always had malt liquor. Everybody's looking for Coke 45 and, and St. Ives and shit like that. Like, so craft beer is something that's kind of fairly still new to us. Like there's breweries that's been around 20, 25, 30 years that's been making craft beer. Uh, like Sierra Nevada, for one, who's been around for God knows how long. And it's like, I recently got introduced to them in like 2013, 14. And yeah, so it, it's just that trying to get uh, 
minorities, especially people of color, black people into the beer industry. Um, it's something that has to happen both ways, not only uh, on a brewery or brewing as a head brewer or assistant brewer or even an owner side. It got to start with the community on the consumer side, too. So it's up to breweries to try to figure out a way to make it a little bit more inviting uh, for people of color to want to go to a brewery. Because, I, I mean, I've been in the beer game for a while as a consumer and even, you know, before I even got into breweries, I, I could count on my hands and toes of how many uh, breweries or beer festivals I've been to where literally I'm the sole black person or just person of darker pigment at that particular facility or event that day. Yeah, that was that was something like when I interviewed Mike Potter for the before the first uh, Fresh Fest and he had he had said several things to me actually that I never had thought of and one was what you alluded to that um like you're just not introduced to craft beer cuz like if you go to the uh, a beer store in a predominantly black neighborhood they're just pushing malt beverages or just the run of the mill macro beers there's not a craft mm-hmm. beer selection yeah, no, it's just hard because it's like, man, it, it's not even until, like I said, man, I, I've been in beer for a little bit, not as uh, adverse or a veteran as most. But um, as long as I've been in, like, I didn't even know craft breweries was a thing. Like, when I first got into beer, I was all about my Coors Light, my Bud Light, MGD <laughs> was my shit, bro. I used to MGD to the death of me, man. And then it wasn't until I actually had my first craft beer which was a horrible experience, I must say. What was your but first was craft beer? Uh, my very first craft beer was uh, actually it was Guinness. Oh man, they gonna hate me, man! I did it with Guinness, man. But the first time I had that stout, this was coming from like those cheap ass rice lagers to a damn Guinness stout. Never even had a nitro brew. In my There's damn a lot life. of flavor difference. <laughs> oh my god, man! It was a palate crusher. Like me and the guy who introduced me, who was actually a, a black man who was very well versed in beer still good friends with him today like me and him almost got into a fight because i thought he was like playing a joke on me by drinking <laughs> beer. why are and you giving me the spoiled stuff had, yeah <laughs> and the second time i ever had a crab beer was a stone ipa and i've never had an ipa before man i mean the bitterness on a hoppy ipa oh my god man it felt like i just drank like liquid coins yeah your friends were not being nice to you (laughs) they were man and and i hated beer and then it all started when i went to like a yelp event and i met a buddy of mine who actually lives in texas now this was back when i lived in california uh he like we were in line at a at a beer at a yelp event that was a kind of had some kind of crab beer and i remembered in my mind like oh like stone IPA, I, I hate IPAs, and that was something that they had. So I was like making a big deal about like, man, where's the Budweiser? Where's the Coors Light? Man, I can't drink this shit. And he kind of tapped me on the shoulders, like, "Are you really crying about them not having that beer?" And I'm like, "Yeah, man, it's the best beer in the world." And he lived across the street from the event, and I always tell people, like, man, he could have murdered me or something. And he was just basically like, "Come to my house." You know, Jeffrey Dahmer shit, like, come to my house, (laughs) you know, I'll get you fucked up. And he actually sat me down with like 20 beers from like a pale ale all the way up to like Tokyo Stout from Brewdog. And we got hammered that night. Ever since that night, I never drank like domestic beer really ever again, unless I'm at somebody's barbecue or something like that. And then a week later, he actually called me the brew brother. 
And then that's when I created that Instagram oh. in like 2014. That's awesome. Yeah. And it blew up from there. So here's the brew brother today. <laughs> well, actually, we'll, um, maybe, maybe that's what we, we should dive into next, but let's take a, um, real quick, uh, uh, sponsor break and then we can talk about we, we we know the origin now um but we can kind of talk about the evolution and the growing popularity of the brew brother all right man uncapped is brought to you by one of frederick's original maryland craft beer destinations located off of urbana pike featuring a warm inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts. Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, or one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. All right, so somehow we made it uh, 20 minutes into the conversation till we realized we were only talking about beer and ne- neither one of us was drinking one. Um, so what did, what did you decide to crack open? Uh, I'm going to obviously, you know, do a black and beautiful stout. Uh, it's a coffee stout from Casa Gria, actually. And it looks like they use uh, two different coffee roasters on this one. So oh, nice. I have not had this particular one, but I love Casa Gria and all the homies that's over there working at that brewery. So that'll be my old day to them. So I'll, I'll give... Uh my buddies at full tilt brewing a little love. Cause I read this came out. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, my face is in the way. So it's going to, this came out, uh, yesterday. It's Dude, a, is that you? Oh yeah. That is me. Wait, you, can you tell by the, the was Hell it, was yeah. it the skunk beard that gave it away? <laughs> <laughs> I can recognize that pretty face from mile away, man. That's awesome, bro. So they have a series of um, fruited sours that they call Dan's Jams. Um, so, so they did this one with me and named it Sands Jams. Nice, dude. So, pineapple, <laughs> pineapple mango crisp sour. Mm, okay. Pineapple mango, I'm digging it. Uh, it. It turned out phenomenal. It is so good. And thankfully so, because... Not only not only is my face on the packaging, but my name is too. So thank no, goodness man. I love it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Now it's always a good feeling. Is this your first time being featured on a can? Uh, funny enough, it's actually the ninth can that my God, face is man. on. <laughs> oh, bro, you the real collaborated brewer, man. We should be interviewing you instead. <laughs> yeah, it, it was funny. Like, and it it started last year. Um, where the, I was just talking about doing a collaboration with this brewery and we decided to name it beach drink. 
and he was like, oh, I can just see on the label you holding this drink. We'll make it look like it's a beach cocktail and stuff. And I, and I was like, that's awesome. I've never wanted to be on a can of beer, but now I do. And then like his artist said that she wasn't um, real good at doing like lot face like people. She mainly does like geograph ge- geometric figures and uh, like non people stuff. So he called me up. He's like, are you okay if we change? I was like, no, man, you promised me my face on a can of beer. I didn't want it before, but now that's the only thing in life I want. (laughs) So, (laughs) Thankfully, his artist's husband was good at doing uh, characters kind of. And so that was that was the first one. And then it just became a thing that so now in uh, next month will be the 10th one that I'm on that comes out. All right, man, when you get in that Jay Wakefield collab, I got to see your face on one of these movie posters. (laughs) So actually, that's, um, so how, so you, um, you didn't drink craft beer, you avoided being murdered at some stranger's house to, (laughs) to, uh, actually be shepherded into, liking craft beer instead of your friends throwing the two extreme tastes at you after you're coming from light lagers. Yeah. I, I'm surprised nobody threw a barley wine my way. Yeah, yeah, that's, introduced that's probably the only thing that could have been worse exactly. or maybe, maybe a lambic or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, gave you the persona that you, or not persona, but the, the Instagram handle that you were going to, uh, create and then grow. Um, so how, so how'd you go from not drinking craft beer at all to having an extremely popular Instagram account about craft beer and then becoming a gypsy brewer and a place that gets in someone who gets invited to Guinness, um, to (laughs) brew a beer with them? You know what, man? Uh, I think someone else asked me that before. I really don't know how the I, I don't know how it happened, to be honest. Uh, but I, I do think I know a way that kind of paved the way. So once I uh, moved from California, um, I was brewing. I was home brewing out there. But, I mean, uh, um, to people who will watch this and understand California, like, you live in pretty crappy-ass apartments for, like, gazillions of dollars. And there's no really space to brew. So I was just a stovetop, like, one-gallon kit brewer. And then I moved to Texas where I actually had like land and property to where I could really get into like all grain and full system setup brewing. And once I started doing that, I started sending my beers out to uh, what the track to go back a little bit. I I really got into it to homebrew more that way because no offense to Texas. I I love Texas to the death of me today. But when I first moved here, you got to understand, I moved here from California, from like LA, and I was going up to the Bay, like San Francisco and everywhere in San Diego, you know, getting all of my beer and being able to trade around the country. And I moved to Texas where it was like, the beer scene wasn't nowhere comparable uh, to California. So I was in this mood of like, you know, I'm I'm mad that I'm here. There's no good beer. And I'm, I, you know, I created this Brew Brother account that was like going really crazy. And that was going to die because there's not enough good beer to share uh, on my Instagram uh, in Texas. So I started to brew my own. I'm like, you know, those monkish IPAs. This is right when monkish started doing hazy IPAs. And I was like, you know, I want that monkish. I want that cellar maker. I, I, you know, I want those guys that said like when Vista Brewing was still 
uh, off and popping down on the way to San Diego. Like I wanted to brew those beers. So I started to brew my own beer. And as I was doing it, I started sending it out to breweries. Like I'm sending it back to the homies uh, in California and just randomly sending boxes. Man, now that I think about it, it's the dumbest day of my idea. Man, these <laughs> people could have thought those were bombs or some yeah, shit. Seriously, like, I, I, it's I'm, actually I'm like I've never even talked to uh, other half or, you know, uh, Trillium ever a day in my life. But I'm sending them this fucking awkward ass box from this guy in Texas uh, probably they thought it was a female, so maybe that probably helped because yeah. they they're probably like, "Oh, who is this sending me some beer?" <laughs> so they started, and I mean, they were like in brown bottles, no label. I wasn't doing labels or none of that shit. It's just like, dude, this could be poison in a bottle. And then uh, once I was sending those out, the brewers started reaching out, like, "Hey, man, this is some good ass beer. Are you a brewery that's about to open?" I'm like, "Dude, I'm just a home brewer that's really taking this shit serious." And then it got to the point where they're like, well, would you like to collaborate? And by collaborate, like, we follow you on Instagram. At this time, my Instagram was popping, not as popping as it is today, but it was good. And they're like, you know, we'd love to, you know, have you come out, check out our system, do a collaboration. Man, we even slap your name on it. So I started doing that. And then as it started to pick up, you started to realize of, like, in the brewing industry, who are friends, so then it was like, uh, you know, I started communicating with people um, here in Austin, Texas, where they were like, you know, I know such and such. And they said that they tried your beer or we tried your beer and we love it. So we want to do a collab. And that's what kind of really started the way of building the homebrew and building the brand of like the brew brother can also brew his own beer. And honestly, it just really started uh, with the very first Fresh Fest, like with Mock Potter and uh, Dave Bracing and everybody uh from fresh fest at that time reached out to me and was like man we would love to feature you uh to brew some beer and it was like okay cool um i would love to brew some beer with breweries that's outside of texas and then that's when i got to brew with dancing gnome and uh pa and isn't andrew like, one of the greatest people ever oh man they're so awesome uh unfortunately i haven't talked to him in a while that's probably both our faults with all that's going on but i need to check in you can blame him if you want (laughs) (laughs) no man but no everybody's cool everybody's good but dancing gnome is very welcoming and we did that uh die hard is not a christmas movie ipa and i think the name of that beer alone is what kind of really sparked the shit because it was like it started a debate where man i was getting like hate messages in my that's hilarious Christmas movie. Yeah. People <laughs> have like, strong oh, feelings about the weirdest things. <laughs> exactly. And you know what? I did that on purpose because I think I was like on a Reddit thread or something like that. And somebody was arguing about like that movie. And I was, and I personally was like, man, that shit is not a Christmas movie. So I talked to Dan, you know, I'm like, we have to do this. And as soon as I told him the name, that's like, hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> do you have a recipe you want to brew? And I was like, oh, y'all going to let me like brew brew. Okay, well, yeah, I actually do have this hazy IPA uh, that I really love. That's a good beer that I actually won some uh, home brew competitions on nationally and locally. So we brewed it at that large span, and then it just kind of blew up from there. Next thing I know, uh, somebody else introduced me to John at Jay Wakefield, which he is like, one of my homeboys, man, John is my dog. And he was like, man, you, we got to get you down to brew a beer with us. And I was like, well, you know, let's brew a beer. And at that time, John was like, you know, man, I'm so tired of brewing fucking IPAs and I'm just stouted out. This was like the end of the year is a Christmas time. 
Lens, I mean, I just want to brew something a little different. Is, is there something you want? I was like, man, honestly, I've been brewing a lot of hazy IPAs and stouts, but dude, I, I really can't stand barley wines. Like, I don't understand why people think that shit is life. And he's like, dude, we have to brew a barley wine now that you said that. And then that beer took off to be crazy. So did and you then, like yeah, it? The next thing I know, you know, I got Guinness reaching out to me to do like some promo posts and things like that. And then they invited me out. I was like, man, we love what you're posting for us and doing the creative uh, brand content for Guinness and sharing it on your page and the love that people showing. Like, we would love to invite you down to brew a beer. Now, mind you, Guinness ain't collaborated with nobody. So to say that I have that on my resume is like that. That kind of is like, man, that's the that's the holy grail for me, dude. Like, they ain't brewing nobody. Then when I get there, all of a sudden, Dave Bracey with the partners, uh, the drinking partners uh, podcast is there. I'm like, what the hell are you doing here? He's <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going to talk to them because I wanted to get them to come in the Fresh Fest. And I'm like, oh, shit. And then I talked to Guinness. They was like, yeah, we want to brew beer with you to get featured in Fresh Fest. That's awesome. And yeah, so then that's how we got with that. And then now it's like me and Jay Wakefield, we did a, two more beers together, which releases uh, next weekend, uh, August 21st. So I'll be back in Miami for that. Uh, I was able to collab with breweries in Mexico. Uh, I did a collaboration with a brewery in Africa. Um, looking to do a collaboration on the uh, Pacific Northwest with Fremont Brewing. That'll be coming up soon. Where Where uh, is Jay Wakefield? I've n- I actually have never heard of them before. Oh, Miami. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. On their Jay website. Wakefield, I'm trying to Miami. Do you never heard of Jay Wakefield? I, you know what? It, it's one of those things like it, it sounded familiar, but I didn't know if it sounded familiar. Cause it's like a familiar sounding name <laughs> or I've definitely never had any of their beer. Oh, I know shit, that. Man, I'm a hook you up. I got you. Uh, no, man, they're, they're killing it down in Miami. The tap room no, looks man, amazing. Collabs with a bunch of folks going forward now. So, um, and I think with uh, starting this Kickstarter and becoming a, a new brewery in Austin, uh, I'm really looking to chat and talk with a lot of the breweries here in Austin to work something out. Um, so I'm in the talks with a few other groups. Nothing's officially official, but I have uh, started conversations with a few local breweries to try to help spread the love and also get my brand out there uh, via their network and such uh, to the people of Austin, Texas. But there's a big- Jester King collab going. Man, you know what? I've been talking to Jeff, and this is a funny thing. Uh, man, I've known Jeff shit since like 2013, 14, and I've been asking that dude to freaking collab on beer forever, but he's a very, very busy man. Yeah. Um, actually, I just ran into him for his Black is Beautiful release uh, a week or so ago, and I, I think I think there might be some traction going there now that he see that I'm a lot more serious about this brewing stuff. So we never know. Might be an urban jungle, black farm, the north farm of Texas, and the south farm of Texas is going to go ahead and collaborate on something special. So hopefully that do happen soon. So how did how did you end up um, hooking up with the answer to do a black is beautiful club? Oh man, shit! I even I'm was- so sorry to everybody at the answer. I'm so sorry I didn't even mention you as a collab, but thank <laughs> you so much for bringing that up. Um, that actually started I'm here to save you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you know uh, CM Bryant. Uh, he's a big advocate for beer in uh, Richmond. And I believe he had a side gig uh, over there at the answer. So he actually came to Austin, I want to say like in October, November of last year. 
And I invited him up to my house to drink and bottle share and do some cool stuff. And he was like, man, you know, I've been working at the answer for some time. I've been talking to them about doing a collaboration. Um, but, you know, they say they want to do it, but I'm not too ready. But he's like, I know you know how to really brew beer and it would be great if we could do something together. And I was like, man, hell yeah. Like whenever you're ready, just let me know. And then it kind of went radio silent and we never talked about it again. <laughs> then when Black is Beautiful, the initiative started and really picking back up. He reached back out to me as like, hey, man, I'm trying to do something. Like, remember that conversation we had about uh, four or five months ago about brewing a beer? I really want to do something. I'm like, yeah, man, just let me know. But I wasn't really putting two and two together like, you know, the brew with the answer of all people. And he was like, actually, you know, I want to do a brewery. Uh, we're going to do, I'm, I want to do a beer and we're going to do the Black is Beautiful, but I want to do something extreme. And the answer is on board with it. And I actually got to meet everybody at the answer. Um, damn, when did I meet them? It was at the Ashland anniversary last year. I think that was also in like September, I think. I don't know. I might be wrong. But whatever, that I met them. Right. We all talked about doing a beer together back then. And they were like, I remember that conversation with that guy. Like, let's do a beer. And then we was like, well, let's do Black is Beautiful. So we started talking about the recipe. And I was like, damn, you know, we got to get Marcus and Weather Souls in there. So it kind of started to where we started to get all these local people together. Uh, we got Eric with Uncap. Um, we got Marcus and Weather Souls. We got the brother, the uh, Brian and Sean Preston brothers. A few other people together to where we kind of collaborated on building this recipe together. And it all just kind of came out like, how extreme can we make it? Like, we want to put 14 karat gold edible flakes in this shit, plus <laughs> glitter to help that shit shine more, and coffee and maple and all of that. And then it was just like, everything just started falling in place. Like, every time we talked, it was just like, damn, this beer is coming together. And I believe it was a uh, Black Ninja Designs who do glassware and such. He was like, man, I'm about to go ahead and just do a little logo for you guys for this one. And then when he dropped that uh, damn logo, it was like, bruh, that's it. Took the Tupac lyrics and put all of our names on it. And, man, that shit actually – I'm so shocked at how quick that beer sold. I think it sold out in like two or three minutes. And yeah, it, it was, was fast. Dude, it was chaos. And then I wasn't aware that there was going to be two versions of it, the version without all the glitter and all that and the flakes and all that, plus that one. So there was the gold and the black version. And that shit just sold out so crazy. But the feedback on that beer and that recipe has been absolutely amazing. Like, I do be stalking untapped. So anybody out there drinking <laughs> my beer, I'm watching and I'll follow your ass. Um, so whose idea was it to put the glitter in? Um, that was actually a group discussion. So when we put the 14 karat gold flakes in it, we didn't realize how much 14 karat gold flakes had to come into a beer. <laughs> I think we brewed like five to 10 barrels. It was a big batch of this beer. And we bought like, I mean, we bought a lot like that 14 karat gold shit wasn't cheap, but it came out to like, it was like maybe a quarter of what we actually needed to the oh, beer. Geez. And it was already too late because we were at the moment of packaging and it was like, what are we going to do? Then it was like, no, nah, we, we have to do the edible glitter in there yeah. as well. Gold glitter to help shine. So if you really pay attention and people do have cans, you might be able to see actual gold flakes floating around in the beer with the glitter as okay. well. That's pretty cool. So what is, um, actually let's take one more. I didn't, I just realized how long we'd been talking. 
but better. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have no time limit, but I better just uh, fit in the uh, another sponsor oh, break. It's Friday, and I'm drinking. I'm free. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's. Uh, um, I still want to talk about um, your Instagram a little bit more once we get back, but let's take yeah. a real quick um, sponsor break, and then we will be right back. There are many reasons why I have chosen District East for where I purchase beer. I love the flexibility of being able to make a custom six-pack or take home a crowler from one of the eight beers on tap. The friendly and knowledgeable staff do an amazing job at keeping a diverse selection on hand. You can even purchase artwork from the monthly featured artist. District East is located on Northeast Street in Frederick in the same shopping center as Family Mill and Rockwell Brewery. You can find today's beer lists on the District East Facebook page or at www.districteast.beer. I'm excited to announce our newest sponsor, Vanish Farmwoods Brewery. Vanish is a brewery and entertainment complex located on a 62-acre hops and apple farm in Luckett's, Virginia, just 20 minutes from Frederick, Maryland and Leesburg, Virginia. With over 20 beers on tap, a selection of wines and ciders, along with multiple food options, there is something for everyone. Vanish has live music on Saturdays and Sundays and a wide variety of special events. Go to VanishBeer.com for information on everything they have to offer. So what is the coolest experience that um, your popularity has afforded you to be able to participate in? Um, I would say the greatest experience, man, there, there's a lot. Um, I would think that the I know you just lit, you like t- just listed at least a dozen <laughs> po- contenders. <laughs> now, if I had to really put one on a pedestal, I think I will forever dearly hold brewing with Guinness Brewery in my heart. One, because it was like, I remember way back when, when like Guinness, I considered that the worst beer ever <laughs> out there. The, the fact that out of breweries that have been doing way more and more successful than me, I mean, I would, I'm not even, I'm just a persona or, a, you know, a, a thing or a, a image on Instagram to a lot of people. But the fact that I was able to physically brew beer with them or like, and nobody else has really had that opportunity to do that. Um, I'm forever grateful. And that's something that I'll hold dearly to my heart. But one thing that I will also uh, say that I hold on a high pedestal is being a part of the very first Fresh Fest. Uh, having the opportunity to showcase beer in a huge magnitude of that way to uh, the people of color and introducing them to beer, that was absolutely amazing. And major shout out to Dancing Gnome for allowing the opportunity of me to uh, brew that beer and develop a recipe to be able to be brewed on a large scale. Um, so those are probably really two great moments. Uh, next, uh, hopefully, when I open my own brewery, that'll yeah. probably trump it all because, I mean, I know right now, especially with the times of the world uh, where um, owning a brewery is very questionable and COVID is really hurting um, right now in Texas, we have a big thing, a new hashtag is Save Texas Breweries because of the laws that we have in place and with COVID and uh, uh, restrictions that the governor has put in place it is really hurting a lot of breweries here in Texas, which is forcing a lot of them to close. So I know that's one major risk that could be, you know, a little scary for people to want to pledge anything uh, to the Kickstarter to start. But, you know, um, I hate to say it, 
it's, it's very sad to see these breweries go, especially some that I really consider as friends. But at the same time, it's a little fortunate because it allows like opportunity for when I start mine to be a little bit more discounted on certain things that I'm chasing, maybe as far as equipment and stuff, because there's oh, going to yeah. be, unfortunately, there's going to be equipment out there that these uh, owners who are just, you know, husband and wife or just single owners can't take to their normal house. And they have to let these go or it's going to go to the landlord or the owner of the property if they don't own it themselves. They're like, hey, uh, what are you going to do now? We're going to auction it. And that really sucks because some of these people put like, you know, $150,000, $300,000 into their systems and probably got to sell them for a quarter of that price, which yeah. is beneficial for me as a new guy. But it just sucks to see that it's coming down to this. So it's all about you know the wave of like who's coming out who's coming in in order to save texas breweries yes we do need to go visit all breweries and support beer to go and and enjoy time in the tap room but at the same time we need to support breweries that's willing to come in during this hard time and uplift the uh, community back in there and that's something that i'm really looking forward to um with this journey that i'm starting yeah, that was one of the things with talking to Marcus that I was thankful for how things have gone in Maryland is that our governor actually put out executive orders that were a lifeline to breweries. Uh, they He made it legal for breweries to deliver um, uh, to to the home and to ship beer to within Maryland. As long as you've made it in Maryland, you could ship it to an address in Maryland. Damn. And then to even add to, have you heard of Beer Me? That sounds very familiar. It's a it's a website breweries are using for home delivery and uh, pickup ordering. Um, but it, it was a Maryland brewery that him and his good friend, one of the inv- I think he's an investor in his brewery. Um, they developed Beer Me. Uh, it's used nationwide now, but it started in Maryland, so that's also been a huge lifeline to Maryland breweries. Wow, dude, I, I think shit, man. If our damn governor, yeah, so thankfully, I'm gonna say it. Our governor is a fucking whack, bro. That dude sucks. Yes, and sir. I wish he would do something like that because that would make all the game. Because Texas is such a big state, there's breweries in areas that like it'll take you out. A lot of people don't know, like when you're trying to drive and leave the state of Texas, let's say you're trying to go to a neighboring state, dude, sometimes depending on where you're going, it takes like eight hours to get the hell out of this state. Yeah, it's like, and, it's like California where like you hear two different places. Like when I went to, I've, I've only been to a lay, I've had a layover in Dallas once going to Lafayette, Louisiana. So I've never okay. spent, spent time in Texas, but it's the same. Like I went out to California for something. I was like, Oh, I'll try to go there. And I look it up and it's like an eight hour drive to get there. I'm exactly. like, how big is this state? <laughs> it's the same thing. People come here or any other place. Like, you know, I'm in Houston, but I'm gonna go to Jesse King for the day. And it's like, dude, that's like a three hour drive now you're talking six hours if you're doing a round trip like it's so freaking far to get to anywhere but if we can ship beer within the state of texas as long as it's brewed in the state i think that would make all the difference in saving breweries man i mean i just did a damn article for austin beer guide and this is their cover it's like you know that's cool bear to try to tell people that only you can save texas breweries and it's just hard. Oh, also, if you're in Texas, make sure you get that. I got a <laughs> three-page article 
in awesome beer guide this this edition that's pretty but, awesome yeah, it, it's just it, it's really hard for breweries to survive out here just because one there are breweries in certain locations who just don't have the community to get their beer out to and they're not in grocery stores and they're not distributing and they're not doing any you know and they don't have self-carrying permits uh which is really limiting them because nobody foresee foresaw anything like this happening uh, to the country or the world. Yeah. And because of COVID is making me take the necessary steps, which is that Kickstarter is going to help because I need licensing. I need to be self distribution. Uh, but in order to self distribute in the state of Texas, you need to be, you need to have a carrier's permit, which means that when I brew my beer, I have to legally hold a permit that allows me to take my beer and drive it to the bar across the street. Um, and, and that's why I have self-distribution because we have the laws kind of here in Texas to where in order for me to serve my beer on tap to people, I have to sell it to a distributor, buy it back before I pour the first pint and the keg never left my brewery. Yeah. So Maryland had a lot of that stuff. Um, it was Guinness coming to Maryland that mm. actually was a catalyst for getting a lot of laws changed. They kept, they caught some flack at first because the original bills written were kind of carve outs that only affected Guinness. <clears throat> um, then they pulled their support of that bill and then supported the Brewers Association of Maryland's bills and like put their lobbying power behind it. Uh, but yet yeah, uh, Guinness was actually, a, I, I think at least a driving force to a lot of the, um, more beer friendly laws passing in Maryland. Wow. See, it, 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 it baffles me of how crazy law can be in many states when it comes to beer. Oh, it's, nothing else, like nothing else in the state where you are is, is beer. Well, so it was, it was two years, two years ago now when there was this big battle over beer laws in Maryland and I had often said, I, I rarely paid attention to politics, but I somehow yeah. went from only interviewing brewery owners or brewers to having the comptroller of Maryland on my podcast, having senators on my podcast, having people running for governor on my podcast just to talk about beer legislation because it had become such a heated topic in Maryland. Yeah, and that's the same here. It's surprising that, um, well, it's not surprising. I'll say, like, I think it's just that stigma of, like, you know, there's other things to worry about when you're running for governor and Senate and things like that in uh, your county, your district, and your state that, like, we have to have conversations about consuming beer. Yeah. <laughs> like, Nobody campaign is around that. Like nobody's running for president and part of their campaign is like, Oh, by the way, we about to legalize the shit out of beer. Yeah. <laughs> something that is like, why are states and counties and governors and mayor and like, why is everybody like so tone deaf to when it comes to beer that it's like this, like forbidden fruit of the community when there's other things of like, you know, there's like meth problems and, you know, heroin and, and poverty and things like that. But we out here have to advocate about drinking some damn beer. Well, I think uh, unfortunately it's like so many other things in life that there are powerful, wealthy lobbies 
that benefits from breweries not that is true. having the that things loosen up. So the, I mean, it it's I, there's probably still some of that uh, abolition uh, uh, purity type stuff there, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I I think it's a lot more yeah, to do with Georgia like recently passing that shit. Like they couldn't yeah. make anything over like twelve percent or something goofy like there that. Was a, I think there was a couple states like that. Yeah, I think Alabama was kind of that way too. Yeah, it was weird. But uh, a lot of it more I think has to do with money. Like, yeah. like no, everything in life. Like our beer to go laws is changed and like we can buy alcohol at ten AM instead of twelve PM on Sundays. Uh, living large. Living <laughs> we living great now, man. <laughs> but liquor stores are still closed on Sundays. So um to to rewind real quick, who who did you brew with when you were at Guinness? Who were who were the brewers you were with? I, I remember seeing the post on Instagram now, but I don't remember which which brewers you were working with. I hate that you asked that because that shit was, uh, I don't remember nobody's name. Oh uh, my God. I'm a bad guy. I, there was a guy, um, Sean, that's the redhead dude. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Sean. That from, was uh, from Jolly. I, I, I wish I would have said it, dude. You got me, <laughs> from Jolly pumpkin. That Sean is I awesome. Said Sean too. <laughs> Uh, nah, he was great. Uh, nah, dude, he's awesome. And it was surprising because I think uh, when him and I was talking, when I was out there, he was like had a background uh, kind of familiarizing with uh, Jeff, with Jessica King, because I think he worked at Jolly Pumpkin. Yeah. Yeah, which yep. uh, Jeff at Jessica King like praises them like to the almighty of like, you know, they kind of paved the way for him. And then there, uh, what's the girl name? Holly. Uh, my yeah she was amazing holly is awesome dude she is so freaking cool um she gave me her number but then i upgraded from android to uh iphone and i lost it so i, I literally have to figure out a way to reach out to both of them i know sean i haven't seen him on instagram but i don't think he was that active in the first place yeah he's not but, super active yeah Ollie, i would love to get back in touch with her too they were like the most amazing hosts at a brewery I've ever had. And then you know what shocks me? You probably know this, but I was telling people when I did the collaboration with Guinness, I was like, do y'all know Guinness like actually brew like other shit? Like it's not just a stout and a blonde. Like when I was hanging out at that brewery, dude, they had hazy IPA. Yeah, everything. Style. They even had a pastry stout on time. I was like, I didn't know they even brew shit like that. Well, dude. I mean, look at, look at their, 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 um, staff of brewers they've all come from amazing breweries um and when i collaborated when everybody started telling me their background dude i was like ready to just fucking snatch my hair <laughs> net, beard net all pack my bag i was like i'm not even worthy to be here because there's so much experience and talent in that brewery man guinness is dope as shit yeah. man I, I would love to go back did, to that place. did man. you meet um ryan wagner while you were there he's the brewery ambassador does he handle the tours and he, he does a lot of tour stuff. Um, he also is the voice of the Orioles. Uh, so he's oh, a sil silky smooth voice. <laughs> if we talking about the thing, I remember him. He was a cool dude. He gave the whole black, tour. The black way that he black the beard, tour. black glasses. Yeah. Yeah. And he, the way he fucking conducted that tour, I was like, oh, he knows like, oh, everything. Stage to you, man. Like, damn. <laughs> 
So he has uh, promised me that he will ensure that there is never again his product with my face on it. Because every, t- every time I see him, he gives me crap about my face being on beers. <laughs> Dude, I would love to come back out to Maryland, man, and, and visit that brewery, but also others. I was so consumed uh, with Guinness and just in awe. I didn't get to visit nobody else while I was out there. I did take one day trip up to D.C. to eat at Kith and Kin, and that shit was amazing. But other than that, I, I didn't even get to check nobody else out because I was just like, uh, like I was at Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, like the Guinness. I always tell people what, I, what got me when I first went to Guinness was that damn gate, man. When that yeah. shit opens up and it just opens up to like this written all those steps that lead up. To, oh, my God, dude. That's like my dream brewery. Yeah, I wish I would I mean, it, it, I think it only costs like $90 million. Oh, it's yeah, you know. Like, small you know, project. Thing, you know? <laughs> I wish I was balling like that. <laughs> yeah, that, that place is definitely beautiful. I, it is beautiful. They, there no was a, um, please go to Guinness in Maryland, dude. That That is, it'll change your life. And they just redid the courtyard area. Um, oh, wow. they, they got rid of the grass and they put in um, artificial turf. And mm. so it's still shaped like the gravity glass, but then they also have, since it's uh, artificial turf, they have a big, huge Guinness harp in the middle of it too. Now it oh. looks awesome. Uh, I have to go back, man. Hopefully the world gets back to normal someday. Yeah. Are they open like during these times? Yeah, they, they just. Um, I can never remember what the what the current status is. I think breweries are at fifty percent. Hundred million square feet of property. Yeah, so I mean they have plenty. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> um. They they opened up a few maybe a month or so ago. They opened back okay. up. They were closed for a while and stayed closed a little bit longer. But the I mean they're you know doing what a large corporation does, make sure everything's very very safe and yeah. following all the procedures and everything. Yeah, and I was like, they have some crazy protocols. That's one thing I always hope you like. I have never brewed in a brewery that was that freaking clean and yeah. and like it, it came to the point like I think uh, I had a net over my beard and it somehow it came off of my ear. Yeah, actually, I found I found the picture from you posted on Instagram so I could see who who all was in it and you, there's a the big huge hair net on your beard. <laughs> yeah, dude, I, I shaved my head that morning of and they still made me wear a hair net. When I blew in Dave Bracey, we had hair nets on. We was like, we just shaved this morning. It was like, we can't even take a risk of like one hair follicle falling into this beard. And then it was just so clean that I remember like my beard uh, net came off. And it, it, I mean, dude, it was like a record screeched in the silent room. It was just like everybody. <laughs> and it was like, dude, you need to, you got to go. You got, it, it was crazy, man. I, I appreciate the, the, quality that they or the standards that they put in place to make the type of beer that they make um because they make a lot of that shit too it's it's weird how guinness kind of straddles that um i mean they're a multi uh continental corporation but they still they straddle that this area in between macro brewery and craft breweries like they have the personality of at least definitely there 100 yeah. percent of a craft brewery yeah and that's actually uh the shout out that i gave to them in this magazine i think the very first paragraph i put in the awesome beer guy was like 
uh, what did I put in there? The people's asking like, what's my favorite brewery? And I was like, if you must know, it's Guinness Brewery in Baltimore, Maryland. Although there is a debate if they're even considered a craft brewery. Well, they, they are, they are a member of the Maryland Brewers Association. Um, I consider them a craft brewery. I mean, I know they're large as shit, but they ain't on no AB InBev fuckery. Um, And I think that that, that's probably a big two. um, I mean, I think they've been accused some things in their spirits portfolio realm, um, but in that's in the um, parent company area. But the um, in beer, they don't you never hear about them doing the same kinds of anti craft beer things that AB and Bev does. Exactly. So at at least in my mind, that makes them a way better (laughs) multi continental candidate of craft beer than anybody. So yeah, Guinness, your craft brewery in a brew brothers book. That's for sure. So, and, and just the pedigree of the brewers there. I mean, that, oh, yeah. I mean, that's it. It does it too. Yeah. And I, and I mean, the, the pressure that they got to have to, to be like, you got to be clean and tedious and be able to consecutively make the same shit over and over again. I, there, yeah, I'm sorry, but that shit takes skill what they do over there on that size system too. I'm sorry, that shit takes skill. So where did the name Urban Jungle come from? Um, so Urban Jungle. Um, if you were to visit Austin when it's safe and visit my house, literally the moment you walk through the front door of my house, you're in a rainforest. I have actual live living trees in my house. Uh, I also have exotic plants like monsteras, uh, philandras, elephant. Like, oh shit, man! I hope the fucking USDA agricultural company. <laughs> but every time I travel international, I smuggle plants back into the country. I hope I didn't start COVID, but <laughs> I, I smuggle plants back into the country and I plant them at my house and propagate and do all this shit. But my house is a jungle. Like, I have plants everywhere from the inside to my patio. But I'm also uh, a green thumb per se. I'm very hands-on. I have a full-blown garden in my backyard where I, I grow uh, bell peppers, okra. I got a, like probably about five or six peach trees, three pear trees. I grow figs, um, mint, bar- or basil. Like I got all types of stuff growing all over my entire property that I have right now. And it also came to because I live in the suburbs. So it, it, we're dancing with names. So just to give people a little background, uh, when I originally started uh, thinking about opening a brewery, the original name of my brewery was supposed to be Monstera Brewing. And that was the Instagram account, Facebook, all of that that I started. And with Monstera, it's like that's my favorite plant in the world is the Monstera plant. It's also known as the Swiss cheese plant because it's a big leaf that looks like a hop. It's the shape of a hop, and it got all these little holes in it that look like Swiss cheese. And I was like, damn, you know, that's kind of cool that it looks like a hop and everything. That's, like, really cool to tie it into beer. So Monstera Brewing was my thing. But then it just got to the point where I was like, I just needed something to capture people a little bit more. I live in the suburbs. I'm a good, quote-unquote, farmer. And I love to, you know, grow and and propagate my own uh, fruits, vegetables, and even just flowers and things like that. 
So instead of being the suburban jungle or the jungle of suburbs, it was like, let's just make it urban jungle. And coincidentally, there was a brewery that used to be called Urban Jungle that tried to start off in, I believe, San Diego back in like 2013, 2014. And they must have hit some brick walls or things like that because it never actually became a brewery. And the cool thing is about that is that they never copyrighted or trademarked the name. Uh, So when I was like, I would be Urban Jungle, the very first thing that I did when I became to try to start Urban Jungle with the copyright and trademark Urban Jungle and Urban Jungle monikers. So I trademarked and copyrighted Urban Jungle, Urban Jungle Brew, Urban Jungle Brewing, Urban Jungle Brewery, all of that. So Urban Jungle is mine. And uh, yeah, so that's basically how it came. It's like now I have to run with it because I put the money into copywriting, trademarking, yeah. and reserving this thing. That's a cool and name. Now, yeah, it, it turned out to be a cool name. And then the logo came to where uh, I was able to design the logo to switch it from Monstera to Urban Jungle. And is, I love the logo to Urban Jungle right it, now. Is it those leaves coming out from behind the, um, are, are those Monstera? Point leaves. Yeah, so they're monster, and I believe that they're elephant ears too. I'm about to pull it up right now because now I'm like, you're, boy, you, you school, you, you trying to catch me off guard? <laughs> hey, I wasn't ready for this. Oh yeah, so it is monsteras and a couple of other leaves. Uh, yeah, but mostly it's monsteras that's coming out of there. So I still kept the monstera leaf theme in there, but kind of just made it a little bit more fancy, like uh, you know, Chip and Joanna style fancy <laughs> it's cool i like it it looks cool yeah so i think it's gonna play well uh, it's a cool logo we got we already got a lot of the merch in because i just had this gut feeling and i was telling everybody I was like when we start this kickstarter when we set up the tiers and how much people can like buy t-shirts or join the membership and all that i just have this feeling that it's going to skyrocket so we have a shit ton of shirts and everything and we're trying to recoup all of that but i mean we would love to fulfill every single order and all of the merch and everything is just that's what that kickstarter is going to help assist with all that to make sure we get every single person that has pledged to us uh taken care of so if there was one brewery that you could do a collab with that you haven't had a chance to, who would it be? Damn it, man. You killing me with this interview today. <laughs> I don't want to piss nobody off, but if there's anybody. Well, okay. We'll, 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 we'll preface it with, of course, all 8,000 you would want yeah, to with. I would collab uh, with all 8,500 yeah. breeds, except the ones that's been blatantly racist about oh, yeah, shit. Uh, but... Uh, if there's thank, thank, thank goodness for the good of the world that Worst Beer Blog does to let us know oh, who I, not I, to support. If anybody needs to start a Kickstarter, <laughs> that motherfucker, because I'll fucking <laughs> that shit, because he's doing the, the people's work yeah. right now. <laughs> no, but if there's one brewery in the entire world that I can collab with and I can take it as an opportunity to, like, it's a collaboration where I'm going to learn shit and I can bring it into my brewery. It'll probably be with Corey King with side project. Where's that? Uh, that is in, if I'm not mistaken, it's in Missouri and I want to say it's in St. Louis. Okay. Yeah. yeah you can tell me project, anything and I'm going to believe you. <laughs> yeah, side project, man. If I can, uh, work with Corey King and just understand his, uh, 
process of blending barrels and and finessing style. I think he makes some of the best stouts in the country, hands down. And I would love to be on his lay on his level when it comes to my uh, barrel blending and stout brewing. So if there's anybody, it would be him. Probably next in line would be Cantillon because I would love the whole Lambic process and everything that they do with their cellar and stuff when it comes. But right now, I'd probably say it would be Corey King and uh, Side Project and the Shared Beer program that he also has with his brewery. What's your favorite style of beer? My favorite style at the moment, uh, I'm just going to be, on right now, it's lagers. I'm a huge lager fan. I probably don't think I'm going to brew that much of it when I do it, but I'm definitely going to try to finesse it. That's still something, even as a home brewer, I'm still trying to finesse that style of beer. Um, but I, I love a clean, crisp lager. And I think the main uh, reason behind that is because living in Texas it gets hot as hell out yeah. here. You can't I be out there drinking pastry stouts and uh, smoothie. Percent pastry town pretzel peanut butter chocolate chip lays chip <laughs> pastry stouts when it's 108 degrees. But I can crush a four percent uh, lager or a Kolsch or uh, a German pills any day. Uh, but prior to that, um, I was definitely a big uh, fruited sour guy. I love fruit sours. I can drink those all day. So yeah, me too, and hence why. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm drinking a stout now, but I sure wish I had like a fruited sour right now. Yep, there we yeah, go. Dope logo. Them- now, my homies in uh, Houston, uh, Urban South. Uh, I did a Black is Beautiful collab with them, and they make some crazy, uh, like fruit forward sours, where it's just like 99 percent of it is like fruit. It's just so thick. But their blending of fruits is just crazy. I'll have to I'll have to see if Full Tilt will send you some of these. Hell yeah! And then see if we can do a collab too. I'll brew beer Full Tilt all day. I'm sure they they like to do. They they're actually they're big to, on that. They're uh, they're actually they're a really fun group, and they're right uh, north of Baltimore. Nice, nice. Um, I lost. Oh, were you were you one of the people that? No, I don't see. You didn't have the mustard beer. Hell no. There's, I saw the mustard beer, but I haven't. Man, that shit. No. Okay. Beer sometimes. Man. That's what it's, I like. You see so many, so many of the, um, the people on Instagram that were doing the paid promotions with it. Um, and I really want a paid promotion with that one. Yeah. They, they sent the beer and then a big like cooler bag, um, <laughs> a mustard beer. And and the, uh, all of them said that it was good, but really, well, I, I mean, it was an ad. So like, I really want to know: was it actually good? Although uh, we'll bring up where Spear blog again. Um, he obviously shared that, uh, and there were there were a bunch of people replying that it was actually good. Wow. Okay. Well, I guess I'm ISO. Then I'll be looking out for that to try that. I'm. T- Fuck, I don't know. Man. I probably I guess, will try. I guess I'll do a sauerkraut hazy IPA, yeah. <laughs> kimchi sour. Well, there there was a brewery in Pennsylvania that made a hot dog IPA. Didn't the Vale do like a fried chicken? Like yeah, fried fried, uh, fried, fried chicken. chicken chicken. Oh man, yeah God. that that's just I don't know. 
I think that yeah, might there's be a brewery in Texas that's talking about doing like a chicken and biscuits beer. I haven't looked into it because that same brewery has not spoken or done anything for the Black is Beautiful initiative. So I don't give a shit about them right now. But I just saw a post earlier that they were doing some kind of like chicken and biscuit beer. But I don't know if they're physically putting chicken and biscuits in that shit. You you know Caitlin, right? Yeah. Uh, she She's one of the people that had the... um. Oh, yeah, she had, did. Had no, the, the homie, man. I, yeah. I, I love her to death. Uh, I actually, I mean, I'm not nearly at the level you are. Um, but I credit her to having an even tiny fraction of a successful Instagram account because she had breakfast with what well, we had. We met for coffee one morning and oh, wow. she was like, here, do this, 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 and this. And like, I did everything she said and it just took off. Yeah, man. I remember meeting her for the first time when I first moved here, uh, when she was just getting started and I was telling her to do this, 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 and this. And now to see how well evolved her, uh, Instagram account has came. Uh, I'm super proud of her. She's well, a real good homie and advocate for beer, uh, here. In yeah. Texas. Oh, super. So nice. Yeah. Um, so maybe I need to, maybe I need to get a refresher course from you then to how <laughs> how how can I eat how can I reach Brew Brother level instead of oh, where, where everybody always asks me that as I have <laughs> and you know what I'm gonna I'm be the first I'm gonna be the first to say that man I wouldn't even be surprised like Instagram don't allow you to follow everybody back once you get to a certain amount of followers mm-hmm. they kind of cap you at how many followers you can follow. And and how much uh, reach you get? So I wouldn't be surprised, man, if a, a a good decent chunk of my damn followers are like bots and shit that I just never got. Like there, it, to think about it, dude, it's so hard to fucking like and visit every single person's page when you have like twenty five thousand plus yeah. followers. And sometimes, man, I'll be chatting with people or I'll just see a certain like when I'm scrolling and it's like, oh shit, like you look like you got a dope account. Then I go to their page and it's like, I've never followed you. But like when I post pictures, like my shit is like, soon as I like see a history of like the people that like my pictures and I go to somebody's page to go to follow them, soon as I go back, that whole list has changed because huh. of so many people liking my damn pictures yeah. that can't even keep track of like who all I follow and don't follow. So I apologize if there's anybody out there who followed me and feel like this motherfucker never liked my pictures. Like I'm so <laughs> sorry. Instagram blame them for that. I'd say I know there, there are like every once in a while I'll think like, I haven't seen a po- photo from this person in exactly. forever. And then I'll like, I'll intentionally go to their account and then I'll just see a ton of awesome like stuff. Damn photos yeah. that I've never even got to see on my feed. Stupid Facebook. Yeah, it's Destroying Facebook. Instagram. It was all when Facebook <laughs> took over Instagram. That shit just went crazy, man. Um, how how long? Uh, what is what's your projected timeline to be able to open Urban Jungle? Great question. Uh, with Urban Jungle, uh, look, I'm, I'm so without Kickstarter and everything, and I'm just looking at to be realistic. I'm looking at Q4 2022. Uh, for the opening, grand opening party of Urban Jungle Brewing. Obviously, if we do meet the Kickstarter goal, that would definitely help out a lot because that's going to jumpstart a lot of things probably about 10 to 12 months. So there's a good, strong possibility it could be like Q4 or Q Q4 2021 or Q2 
uh, or Q2, yeah, Q1, Q2, 2022. But as a realistic goal of just doing everything on our own and trying to get this going, we're planning to open Q4 2022. And you alluded to it earlier. Uh, you mentioned it a little bit. You have a strong business background too. You're, you're not just a home brewer. That's like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna open a brewery. Yeah, which I'm pretty sure every home brewer out there in the yeah. world is like, I brewed four beers and my neighbor said it's great, so I'm opening a brewery today. <laughs> um, but no, I actually do have a, a strong background. I've been in commercial real estate for about 10 plus years, and I actually help assisted a lot of breweries, bottle shops, and other businesses and beer open a brick and mortar in California and here in uh, Texas. So I do know the pros and cons, especially here in Texas, of what it takes to open a brewery and operate a brewery, especially if you're leasing space from a landlord, because I am a landlord. Uh, To dive in, uh, when I tell people that I'm in commercial real estate, is that I'm a property manager. So I do commercial real estate of the uh, management of assets for owners that own properties and I navigate my leasing team to develop leases. Uh, there's a few breweries here in Austin, Texas, where technically I'm the landlord of their business. Okay. Um, but that also helps me because if I don't, so worst case scenario, we don't get the farm that we're looking at. We already put an offer in on the farm and hopefully that get accepted in the next week uh, for quite a few acres uh, here in North Austin. Um, But if that don't work out, at least I have the background of being in commercial real estate to land a brick and mortar uh, in an industrial space or retail space. And I know leasing. So I know what type of things to ask for in a lease to help benefit me to opening a brewery and not fall into the same uh, holes or red tape or obstacles that other breweries have fell into. So when when I say that, it may not be farmed. So that's why we kind of switched the whole Kickstarter to a farm-inspired brewery because we wanted to have that backup plan to be like, if we don't get the land a farm, at least we will have a brick and mortar somewhere that will be inspired by a farm. Yeah. And we can be able to do that because I'm able to negotiate leasing and find the good, the perfect property that I feel will help benefit urban jungle growing. So it's, it's actually interesting then you have all rolled into yourself kind of like the three pillars that a lot of breweries have for, um, to, to be a successful brewery, your, yeah. your brewer. You have the business background added in real estate, so that's going to really help you find the right place and a strong marketing and brand building experience from your Instagram account. So it's like, exactly. yeah. So from the Instagram account, I mean, even before uh, I even moved to Texas, when I was living in LA, I had a brand marketing company in uh, California where I was helping uh, mom and pop restaurants. Uh, curate a craft beer menu like I I only worked in restaurants that actually had a tap wall and menu and I was working with them on uh, getting them connected with other breweries to get exclusive uh, kegs and taps uh, to get it featured into their brewery to kind of encourage the craft beer community like damn, I'm going to go to this restaurant and enjoy some pizza or some brunch or shit because I know that they got and this was like a few years ago when it was like 
a fundamental observation from bottle logic is very rare. And it's like, this is the only place in LA that I can go get that without having to draw to Orange County. Or, you know, I can get these specific brewery beers or modern time beers, or uh, even when uh, uh, Vista Brewing started, uh, I'm saying not Vista Brewing, but Toolbox Brewing in uh, San Diego started, um, when they were doing sour, they were their beers are only in the San Diego area, and I was the one who kind of got them into LA into certain restaurants. So I used to help curate their beer menus uh, to pair with their food, and I used to handle their social media, and that's what kind of helped me develop the Brew Brother and kind of really piggyback off of what I was doing for them and hosting events at their uh, specific restaurants and beer related events that I bring the crowd in. But yeah, no, I think I have the skill set that unfortunately a lot of other brewers and business owners in general don't have just because I have that background. Uh, So when a lot of people open businesses, whether it's a brewery or anything, when they get a brick and mortar in a place, they depend on like their broker to work out the best deal that they could possibly get with the owner's broker. But since I know the full side of being in commercial real estate and property management, I've seen both sides of the spectrum. So I know that what it takes, basically I know how to work the yeah. system of real estate to make sure it benefits you me. You live behind the curtain. Background, and then I also know the brewing. So I'm a trifecta to be able to be a little bit, I don't want to say I could be more successful because I don't want to downplay any other brewery out there and what yeah. they're doing salute to everybody but i just feel like i just have that extra nudge to where i can make sure that we don't get the short end at a stick in any deal that we make well i think um it's the the business side and the marketing side that sometimes new breweries struggle with like it's, it's someone who's a really good brewer that decides to open a brewery but they don't have those other things that they've been experienced with so it it, yeah. It's not or, enough or to just develop following because I feel like uh, with Urban Jungle Brewing, obviously I could piggyback off the Brew Brother account yeah. to help support the the people to come to want to see like what is the venture that Brew Brother is starting. So that's one thing that I hope I can change because I don't want it to be like it's the Brew Brothers Brewery, it's the Brew Brother Brewery. Like it's not it's Urban Jungle. I'm gonna have a team. There's multiple people involved. And I want it to be to where like, yeah, like a lot of you people who know about it obviously came from the Brew Brother account to understand the marketing of it and what I'm reaching out to. But please understand that Urban Jungle is something that I'm very passionate about a lot more than the Brew Brother. And I want this thing to be successful and, and take off for sure. Oh, and then your wife also runs a popular Instagram account too. So <laughs> that's good. I don't know. She catching up to me, yeah. man. But you know, uh, she she got a much better uh, Instagram than me. You know, she she's starting. She drink a lot of fruity sours. I don't <laughs> know. She started putting her butt out and shit on <laughs> and everything. It's like, I, I can't do all that. Ain't nobody trying to see my black hairy ass. <laughs> I and there's there's um, <laughs> there's a fan of uh, everything. Man, her Instagram is starting to pop off really well, and she she's really great at marketing too. Um, so I, uh, yeah, with her help, I, I think we can get a really decent crowd to come out and check out the brewery for sure. Yeah, I, I see you two are also fans of the same glassware company as I am. Yeah, yeah we have, we have a lot of the same glassware. <laughs> yeah, 
I actually need to slow down on the glass. I got way too many beer glasses. Oh, I, I you're, you're preaching to the choir, man. <laughs> I need to get like five good glasses and just use those. I can't. I wouldn't be able to whittle my yeah, obscene collection. I, I, I'm bad, dude. I even gave away a lot of glasses to neighbors like just to be nice. And I donated some to Goodwill, too. And it hasn't even put a dent. Yeah. I probably at this very moment have at least 200 different types of glasses in the house i'm crazy i i want to say i'm not that bad but i can't i i can't honestly say that i'm positive i'm not that bad (laughs) (laughs) i get to the point someday i'm like let me see what glass i grab i was like damn i I remember i bought this glass in 2015 like why do i still have it like i mean i just ordered I, I ordered a Homestar Runner one today from no, uh, Twin Elephant. <laughs> Never heard yeah, of the brewer. Uh, I'm going to have to clear it out because uh, I'm actually in production for Urban Jungle uh, glasses right now. So I'm pretty sure I'm going to have a decent stock of those in the house. So I really need to make some room. What um, what style glass were you going to have? Uh, man, that's a good question. So if the Kickstarter do start off, uh, even if it don't, I'm going to still reach out to everybody who actually pledged to be a member of Urban Jungle, which is the Urban Night membership. Um, there are some very, very special glasses. I ain't going to say it live, live, because I I, don't know, I haven't seen them in a lot of other people's <laughs> posts. But if you become a member by pledging on Kickstarter for the membership, there are some very exclusive special glassware that's going to be out there. But other than that, my other glassware is going to be the William Beecher glasses. Okay. Uh, and outside of that, uh, I, have, I, I haven't looked at anything else. I was thinking about reaching out to like some glass blowers. And I know that, you know, they can't make the same glass every time, but I'm looking for something that's like very, very unique. You want to get on that uh, 450 South? Sa- uh, I mean, uh, wait, what's, f- f- yeah. 450 Brewings, $200 yeah. a glass. <laughs> Do that too. No, but I, I got some exclusive shit for all the members, man. I, I really hurt. I really hope this uh, Kickstarter reaches its goal because I think everybody who's pledged to be a member of uh, Urban Jungle, the official Urban Knights are going to re- get some glassware that's going to blow people's mind, man. It, it's some it's some dope shit. I actually have a few samples in. And I'm approving them today, I or I, I approved them today, and they're going to start going in production. So even if it don't work, and I'm going to still reach out to the people who wants to be members of the uh, Urban Jungle program, and we'll, we'll definitely still figure out a way to get them the perks that they pledged for. So you um. You, you had said you were going to talk about uh, diversity and inclusion at Beer Now. Um, what types of, uh, like maybe a bullet point of what your presentation was going to cover? Um, so basically we were going to do a panel where I was going to be the moderator and then there was going to be five uh, individuals that was going to join in. Um, Marcus with Weathered Souls was going to be one of those. Uh, members that's why I kind of wish like things kind of went a little different this year um but then again uh because of the way things went uh maybe black is beautiful I don't know who knows I mean unfortunately I'm gonna just be black uh you know if it wasn't for a particular uh black people suffering and being killed in the public eye there probably would have been others and maybe black is beautiful would have still been a thing that was launched I but think he COVID was probably COVID probably played a role in that too, though, because it kind of. I, I, 
kind of think that COVID helped bring the awareness because let, let's just uh, address an elephant in the room here. Um, black people, especially black people, have been murdered by police for years. And it kind of, you had videos, you kind of had things, and it kind of went under the radar. But I think with COVID, it kind of locked people at home where it was like a situation where you just cannot go to work the next day yeah. and forget about this man being choked out in the middle of the fucking street or uh, uh, a mentally ill woman being shot five times because she uh, a, a man tased her with a, with a taser that only had one discharge and he killed her because he was in fear of his life because she grabbed the taser. It's like she had no, she couldn't shoot it again. But no, and then Breonna Taylor, like let's talk about that situation yeah. where her being killed in her own home by answering the door. Yeah. So I think like COVID had this underlying layer of people already tense. Exactly. And then it was kind of like these atrocities happened and it just, it lit a fire that took people to um, levels of action that may not have happened if there wasn't that underlying tension already there. Yeah. So I definitely uh, think it helped with that for sure. And, um, I, I, man, may, may God bless and rest the souls of those that have been lost for the shit that's been going on. Like George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, uh, you know, Fidel Castro, like, like everybody, the, uh, I'm sorry, Philandro Castro, I said Fidel, but Philandro Castro, like everybody who's been, uh, just like had to suffer in their families and friends that had to suffer from things like that. But with the with this uh, diversity inclusion, um, it, it was going to be you know Marcus Weather Souls. I had my homegirl Sheila from Holdout Brewing here in Austin. She's part of the LGBTQ community. Um, I I had women, I had men, I had people from all different backgrounds. But I was going to use uh, brewers, uh, people who are front house status staff, and then I had uh, a couple of members who was a uh, part of magazines or publications here in Texas uh, that prop that never actually like written or dove in uh, to diversity inclusion or talk to people of uh, minority backgrounds. And then I also had a couple of consumers because I wanted everybody to see it from all aspects from brewery owner to front house office manager to publications to the people who actually drink the beer uh, that come in as a consumer. And it was going to be this whole uh, panel that was going to discuss everything in front of everybody. But uh, now with beer now being pushed back because that was supposed to be like last. It was, that last, was week. last week, right? Yeah, I think it was last week. Yeah, so that was supposed to happen. And I think they kind of pushed it out to November. And now since we're, uh, we kind of shifted things a little bit, that depends if this actually truly happens in November is that now I'm not going to do a, a diversity panel. I'm actually going to do a diversity inclusion keynote. Okay. If, if it still happens where I'm going to get some time to really, I, I hope we have the time to like host this in some kind of auditorium or something where there's people sitting there where I can just be the, I'm just going to address the elephant in the room, man and kind of really dive in and let every brewer there, especially as I'm pretty sure most majority attendees are going to be Texas and mostly Austin, Texas uh, breweries and owners and just be like, Hey man, uh, look to your left and look to your right. 
do you see people of color sitting next? Like, tell me, right, just tell me right now, how many black people, Mexicans, Asians, do you see in this room right now? What do you think is the, um, the, maybe the kickoff point or one of the first hurdles that could be a, a jumping board to adding more diversity into craft beer? Um, if I can say anything that can really start things going is breweries need to speak up. Um, with Black is Beautiful Initiative, there's a very sad underlining story here that there are about 84, 8,500 breweries in this country and only 1,100 of them are brewing Black is Beautiful. Or let's not even even discuss Black is Beautiful, but uh, let, let's say that we want to limit breweries to posting a Black square on Instagram. How many uh, breweries has actually even done that part? Or how many breweries have released a statement stating, like, if you're about hate and and you dislike a person because of their color or their sexual preference, what are you saying as a brewery to those people that come in as a consumer? Like, that bullshit ain't tolerated here, dude. Like, we love people all walks, forms, backgrounds, life. It don't matter if it's women, women loving women, men loving men, whether you're black, you're Asian, you're brown, anything of that. But we just letting you know that everybody's here. So I think if breweries speak up more of like, even if you can't brew black is beautiful at this moment because COVID got you in a bind or you're in a tight quarter because uh, you don't just have the capacity to do so right now. But what about that brewery that's down the street that does have those free open tanks right now? You can do a collaboration brew of Black is Beautiful. Or if you're serving food at your brewery, you can release a pizza that, you know, if, you, if you're a pizza style brewery, you can release a pizza that all proceeds of this particular pizza is going to this organization. Or you can even invite organizations to your brewery. Like, let's set up a special event. Like all these breweries love setting up beer festivals and uh, any other kind of event in their parking lot or renting event space. So why not be a brewery that supplies beer, but we also set up a platform for organizations that are fighting uh, racial injustice and trying to make more equality in the community to where they can set up tents to where people can come drink beer, but also hit each one of these tents and learn about organizations and get a better understanding of why money needs to be donated to these. So I think if breweries were to actually take a chance of releasing public statements and think, if you even just do that, you create a blog post or Instagram post of just genuinely spilling your heart to people, letting them know like, the people of color, let's just say black people, but we're going to talk people in general that are minorities or underrepresented in this uh, right, industry. I mean, outside of, I mean, real, I mean women uh, are starting to oh, wow. come into craft beer a lot more too, but I mean, yeah. it's still vast majority white men. So it could. At the end of the day, it's vast yeah. majority white men. So I'm talking, when I say diversity and inclusion of craft beer, I'm talking black people. I'm talking LGBTQ community. I'm even talking handicapped people. And I don't even know if that's the proper term, so correct me if I'm wrong, but some people might even feel like just because you're in a wheelchair, you can't brew beer. Or if you have cerebral palsy or something like that, you can't serve beer. 
or even just women. Like there need to be more women becoming involved. And that's women of all, like white women, black women, age, just women in general coming into the industry. But if a brewery was to take that stance and just make a, a public statement, like this is where we stand. And then I know we're going to get comments. There's going to be people like, because I see it on other breweries pages. Oh, your brewing black is beautiful. I would never support your brewery again. Okay, then as a brewery, you need to comment to that fucking comment and that person be like, peace out. Yeah, I don't want you there. We don't want you here. But I've looked at breweries who post it like black is beautiful and then they allow 300 comments on their page and there's people out there like, you know, fuck Black Lives Matter and, and you know, I'll never support you again. And a brewery won't even comment to that person. Yeah. So then that kind of shows to me like, oh, so you made this blanket statement to kind of be cool and hip to the times, but you truly don't care. Because there are breweries out there who, who actually check people's like, you know what, I, you made this comment, like you are exactly why we posted this and we don't want you at our brewery no more. There's breweries that have said that to people. Yeah, I've seen definitely seen a lot of it. Of yeah. people, like- well, I, think that's, I think that's a way to start because it's hard to say like, you don't necessarily have to donate money because a lot of people need to actually look into the organizations they're donating money to. Not all organizations yeah. are for a proper cause, but I think if you are able to make that step of a public post and not bury it, like make that shit a post on Monday and then don't post shit else until the following Monday. Some people make a, they did a black square and then like three hours later, they like it, Here's our release for this Saturday, and we got four beers. You know, fuck that shit that we just posted. But, you know, we got all these beers posted coming out on Saturday. Please come out and support. See, I'm going to I'm gonna be honest. I, I didn't post anything when everyone was doing that because yeah. I kind of just sat back and watched and listened, and I didn't feel like it was my place to say things then. I felt like yeah. my contribution was much more of – being able to have people like you on and yeah. to tell your story and to uh, teach me like you are now teach me uh, about it. I felt like that's a better way for me to be able to help is to, yeah. as a, as a, to use my, albeit not huge following, but to add to a megaphone to people as uh, to, and that's why I reached out to Marcus because yeah. I, I felt like for me, that was a much better way for me to help than to make. Cause I felt like there were so many people just making empty posts that. I agree. I, and what you did is a perfect example of a, a, another thing that I talked about with people here is like you did exactly what you needed to do because your platform went bigger than that. So you can post a black square on Instagram and get so many followers. But what, what your niche is that you have this platform of being a very successful podcaster, vlogger, all that stuff. And I would rather you do what you do, what you're doing now than posting some blank black square. And, and that, that was kind of like my thought. Like, it's just, uh, all right. It would, it would feel like I was just following along with what everyone else was doing. And it had yeah. it, it like, it wasn't really doing anything. Yeah. No, I think what you're doing now is great because it gives people that real narrative uh, feelings and what's going on because you're sharing your platform, which could be used 
for anything else. I mean, there's platforms out there who have the same platform as you who aren't doing what you're doing. They don't want to amplify voices or be that megaphone that really shares a message because either when they're scared and don't know how to address the situation or they just blatantly don't give a shit. But we're right now in a time where conversation is key, man. This, If no time has ever been the time, it is time to find your counterparts and talk to them. Like I was telling uh, my job being in commercial real estate, I'm the only black employee at my company where there's me and one other person now, but we're the only black employees in our entire company. And it's a very large real estate company. And it was just like, you know, no, every, we finally addressed the elephant in the room about like, this was kind of like right when the old George Floyd situation started. And it was surprising of how like my company uh, in general was just like terrified to have a conversation because they just felt like it wasn't their place or this is something they never experienced. And then when we were able to talk to them and educate them and like let them know like, you know, I'm, I'm, I wear suits and ties and like how I look to right now, you would never recognize me in person. Like I even have people on my Instagram today after posting uh, me being in, featured in the uh, magazine. It was like, hey, man, I was at that brewery, too. I didn't even know you were there. And it's like, yeah, because like I was, you know, totally different dressed yeah. and everything. But I had to explain to my company is like, you know, do you understand, like, you know, as you're one of your sole black employees that. When I go to a property, if the fire alarm is going off or, you know, a a window is broken and I go there as the property manager to try to take care of the issue, that there's a possibility that the police might show up and think that I'm the motherfucker who did that. Not even knowing that this is my job and this is a building I manage and I'm taking care of this property as I do every single day. It's like I can be on my way driving to a property and have the fear of like being a a, a black man in a very nice vehicle and being pulled over. And hopefully it's not mine or it is or isn't mine and things like that. But you can just cruise and do your thing. And and what I found out about talking, having this conversation with my company and and my peers for the first time is that it's not like that it was belligerently like being ignorant or understanding. It's just, it's a situation that they just never had to deal with because they like, unfortunately they may have never had a black friend or were very privileged growing up to where they just never had to experience nothing like that or never had the conversation in their lifetime with somebody who experienced something like this that they've never seen and only thought was on TV and movies and such. Yeah. Well, so I think it kind of this narrative for us as people to where we can talk about that. I, and I think like, cause you had said too, that you, you didn't think it was from a place of ignorance or they, but it, it, there's a, there's, there's a lot of just, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what and, you don't know. I don't know fucking geometry. call me a fucking idiot all day because i don't under you can try to teach me geometry right now and i'll be the dumbest person in the classroom because i don't know but if you just give me the time and bring the conversation and teach me we can go a lot further and that's why when i talk to people especially you know white people and other people who don't experience it i never come in as like this angry man that like especially black man that needs some like i want to have this serious conversation to where we can talk and maybe we can really develop something here. 
to where I introduce you to something and you introduce me because there's things you been through or uh, never been through that's like, damn, I, I didn't know that you never been pulled over before ever. Damn, that's cool. How's that Hell possible? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like shit, man. <laughs> so no, nah, but I don't call it ignorance. It's just the opportunity of conversation. And I think that's what everything that's going on in the world is created. And that's what hopefully Black is Beautiful will curate in the tap rooms. It's like now I can walk up to a bar and sit right next to you as a white man and we can just drink the same black is beautiful beer and have a conversation of why this is brewed and, you know, and understand each other and walk off as friends. Or even if we don't walk off as friends, at least we planted seeds to each other to, to water and hopefully grow and spread conversation to others. That's really closer to us. It's in, I had said earlier, um, is when I was talking to, I interviewed Mike Potter and Barrett Tillman, um, oh, Barry and, Tillman, man, that's my dog. Yeah, great guy. So, uh, he was really interesting. I liked him a lot. Um, I mean, it, through the course of interview, there's a lot of things that we discussed and I we talked about. Like, it's just things I never would have thought of. Like, yeah. it just it's I, I you I think a lot of people put malice into people's yeah. hearts when it's really just that they don't have the same experiences you have and can't possibly know uh, the, from the, the, the world from your lens without being, having it exposed to them. Yeah, I agree. And, and with that kind of conversation and like what you just said, it's not that like you were deliberately not understanding or not in, you know, intentionally not trying to say it's just, it's just different environments, different backgrounds as such. And it all stems to even before our lifetime of just things that just happened to separate and divide us as a community. And we got to understand that when it comes to like segregation and, and like dividing black and white, that shit was yesterday, bro. Like what, that was like in the sixties when that shit really happened to where, we can drink from the same water fountain yeah. and go to the same It's not school. real. In, in the grand it's scheme of things, it's not that long ago. Exactly. So we're at a stage where we need to start having those conversations. And, like, there's things I need to understand. Like, I don't understand certain things my grandparents and great-grandparents right there because it was like my entire life I have white friends and I can drink from water fountains and I can go to same schools in my lifetime. Yeah. But for their lifetime, that shit was just totally different. And we kind of got developed and molded off of their experiences to where we need to break chains and barriers and create our own for the next generation that follows after us to make it to be where it's not another 400 years of, you know, diversion between people like it was with slavery and all of that. It's like, we need to demolish that shit now. And I think like one, one big step is to not think everyone comes from the same level of knowledge or experience or knowing, like, for example, I had never heard of Juneteenth until this year. Dude, you know what? And that was surprising because I mean, I always in Texas, it's huge. Dude, and it was because I'm living in Texas now yeah. that I've been really promoting it. And it's surprising of like how many people have never actually heard of it. But I spent my whole life 
And knowing see, I, I grew up um, just south of Pittsburgh and it was never taught. It was like, it just, it wasn't something that. It's not in our school books, that's for sure. Yeah, and that's and, no matter where you are, they don't mention that shit. Like, and it, and it makes sense that yeah, it would be so important in Texas yeah. um, and, and be so big and probably the state surrounding it. But I if it was talked about, it must have been mentioned in passing. And, and I mean, I took advanced placement history classes in high school. And hey, bro, I, keep that shit, bro. And and then like living in Maryland, no one talked about Juneteenth. Yeah. It just it wasn't it it's not in the culture here for yeah. and I, I I asked um my black friends, some of them, and most of them had never heard of it either. So oh, it's not surprisingly a lot of black people have, especially like black people who grew up in like areas that's not the South. Like if you grew up in like Vegas and and you know LA and you know areas that just don't, it's surprise all spectrums. It don't matter if you're black, yeah. white, brown. A lot of people have not heard of it, but I think this year everybody yeah knows everyone it. knows what it is now. Yeah, so it, it and it's shocking how that's not a national holiday compared to other holidays that's being praised and what. But I think Juneteenth is one of the pivotal moments in history to help change to where you and I can have a conversation like this today and be on the same podcast without somebody trying to burn your house down for talking to a black man. So, (laughs) you know, so it's a lot of, and like, so, I mean, I grew up in the North. I I grew up in, I, it was 99, probably point something percent white where I grew up. So like my upbringing, there's very little outside of white culture that, that I was exposed to growing up. Um, it wasn't until I moved to Maryland that really experienced diversity. Yeah. In fact, my first, one of my first jobs when I moved to Maryland, I was probably, I think white males were in the minority there because it, it, it was a engineering firm. So there were just, there were a lot of uh, people from India, China, like all these other countries, a lot of women engineers. So it was like extremely diverse and it was like it was one of the only times in my life where i was in the actual minority in in most rooms mm. so it's like i think um too many people will jump and put malice into people's motives i mean there are definitely times where there's no doubt that there is malice there yeah. <laughs> the people have proven that yeah. um but sometimes it's attributed when it the malice isn't there it's just it there it's just a lack of not having exactly. any reference point point. and that's why i always been about it's all about conversation i never judged anybody until like i can physically have a a decent conversation with you and then based on that we'll have you understand like if i'll try to have a conversation explain to you you're just inward inward i hate y'all and things like that then you know yeah shit. there's no yeah. there's no doubt there <laughs> yeah but and if we have a conversation like this where it's just like damn bro like which i've had with a lot of my uh white peers and brewing and just friends in general where it's like dude i just didn't fucking know man like that shit was not taught to me and it's like now that i know 
Like, yeah, you you damn right I'm with you. Yeah, Juneteenth is fucking great. Like, there was sometimes me growing up in Louisiana and in the South, like Arkansas and things like that. A lot of people saw Juneteenth as like, it was like this day of rage for black people. And it's like, dude, that is like that. Celebration. You just, you just sit down and have a conversation and let me explain to you what it's about. It has nothing to do about us reality, re, uh, re, retaliating or anything like that to anyone else. It was just... It's freedom. Like, that's yeah. our 4th of July. Like, how you celebrate your <laughs> the freedom of the country and all of that for with fireworks and shit. It wasn't until, like, that was the day yeah. where it was like, we can also shoot fireworks and be proud and do, like, that was the day that we were allowed to. Prior to that, we were never, we were never allowed to participate in independence and all that stuff. So Completely unrelated real quick. I hated when I went to Louisiana. It was yeah. so hot there. I went in. I flew down for a job interview in the end of it was the end of October, and I got off the plane and started sweating immediately. I was like, "Yeah, I'm not taking this job. I don't. It, I don't it, care." Off ass out there. Texas ain't no better. Well, Austin is good, but once you get to like Houston, yeah, yeah, it's swamp ass hot. It's just swampy, nasty, sticky, hot all so, day. So from talking to a bunch of different people, it it seems like maybe for at least like from the microcosm of craft beer, one of the biggest first steps would actually be your front of house staff, like sure. but having diversity in that front of house staff um, makes it a more inviting environment for for other than a bearded white man to come and sit down and have a beer. For sure. Most definitely. Um, obviously, I'm more comfortable in tap rooms than probably uh, my other fellow black men who have probably never been to one uh, in a day of their life. But it, it just had that vibe of differency when you can walk in somewhere. It, it, I, I don't know how to I'm probably using the worst, uh, probably explaining this the worst way but it, it just like it hits different when you can walk in when you're at a brewery and this is when i first started uh in the crab beer industry and got into breweries like when you first walk into a brewery just walking into the door like it automatically darks your eyes like oh shit i'm the only black person here and then you get that immediately tense feeling of like am i supposed to be here or like, is it cool? Is any other people staring at me weird? Damn, am I dressed wrong? Like, you got all these kind of conversations. Then you get up to the bar, and there's been situations when I when I was first getting in the beer, is when I go to the bar and be like, you know, uh, I'm trying to see what you got up here, what you're doing. And it's just kind of this thing of where it's like, you should already know what we serve and what we drink and, you know, things like oh, what we got here for you. And there's nobody there to really communicate. But there was times where I went to breweries where there was another person of color, not even just black. I mean, I went to breweries where there was, you know, some of my Hispanic people who are now called friends now. And I'll go over there like, oh, shit, you know, you know, what's good? I can kind of brace myself a little bit because we can we can kind of connect a little bit about the beer. So I think uh, by by starting in a tap room, uh, and that's just behind the bar, the people that's pouring the beer can make it welcoming that when a person walks in, especially a noob to crab beer that walks in, when they start darting their eyes, it's like, 
I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. Do I order at the bar? Do I grab a table? Boop, boop, boop. Up there's somebody that looks like me. Uh, maybe I can just gravitate yeah. towards them that's at the bar and they can help me figure out the plan here. So that definitely helps. But at the same time, we got to be on a fair spectrum of that in order to hire diversity in tap rooms, especially the bar staff, there got to be applicants from the outside. So we got to start talking about breweries like how are we like diversifying ourselves uh, to be welcoming to someone to even apply at a brewery or like, like what are we really doing to kind of gravitate this outside community to really say like, it is okay to apply here, even if yeah. you have no experience. So because I, that's the thing is that when it comes to diversity and people of color, there's a lot of us that just do not have any experience in the beer industry because it's an industry that existed for so long that never really had us in it. So when you say, oh, I'm looking for a, a tap room manager or a bar staff with one year experience of cleaning beer lines and all that, automatically people of color are like, well, I'm not applying there because I've never worked at a brewery before. Yeah, I um I I attended a, a leadership program and and put on through the Chamber of Commerce for Frederick County. And one of the days uh was devoted to diversity in the workforce. So this wasn't about craft brewery specifically, but just work workplaces in general. And one of the things that was talked about then was that employers reaching out to uh, services or groups that specialize in um, uh, employment uh, searches for minorities. And that's a good point that you said that because there are like staffing agencies that are out there for minority communities. And if a brewery is looking for front house staff or anything like that, they need to reach out to, you know, Manpower and uh, Robert Half and uh, Burnett Staffing, like all these staffing agencies that are out there that post job opportunities. And they can post it there because at the end of the day, like a lot of people of color, like rely on those websites and organizations yeah. to help them find employment. So you might, for all you know, man, there might be somebody just like me who loves craft beer and always just appreciated flavor and all of that. But they're terrified to apply to work at a brewery because it all comes out. Like when you read descriptions, like I was even the same way. Before I got into gypsy brewing and wanted to open my own brewery, I was like, man, I would love to work at a brewery, like to work on a brewing side as like an assistant brewer or an apprentice. But then when you read the description, it's like, oh, we want five years experience of, of this, this and that. And it's like, damn, you know, they ain't even going to hire me, man, because why should I even apply? Because I like, even though I'm the brewer brother, it's like I ain't never I don't have five years of a actual brewery setting. I'm a gypsy brewer. And maybe that's not enough to be a brewer or assistant brewer. And yeah, it automatically determined for all I know, I could have applied and they'd be like, oh shit, dude, we follow you. Of course we bring you. But that's me. Yeah. Like what about the everyone that only has two twenty followers and only thirteen posts on their Instagram, but they want to get in the beer and don't have that big following? Are you gonna still feel the same way about them? as you do with the brew brother. And I think, um, going back to what you said too, before, like how 
sometimes when when you go to a place the bartender will be gone condescending or mm-hmm. and like i mean i've experienced that and i i kind of feel like i have a decent knowledge of of beer but then i've still like i've gone places where i didn't know anyone and the the uh beer tender was super condescending to me i just want to be like come on um whereas like me i'm just going to complain about it or just think like that person's a jerk. But like where you said, where, where you walk in, you're already uncomfortable wondering, like, do I belong there? If you have that same experience, whereas for me, it's just annoying for you. It's going to be a complete turnoff and like, screw this craft beer stuff. They're just exactly like, we don't have nobody to complain to because it's just like, "Mm, you know what? That experience just wasn't good for me. I think all breweries are like that. So I'm never going to return. And I have people like I have uh, two brothers and four sisters and I tried to get them in a crab beer and they had the same feeling with some very popular breweries I took them to where they just felt like, "Mm." and uh, that's good. Like they had a good time when they were with me because it was like, I know everybody and everybody's cool and happy. Then they was like, you know what? I remember when my brother took me here. So I tried to go visit this brewery over here by myself and it was just it wasn't that experience that we had when we were with you so i'm good i'm done it's just like but like you said like you can go ahead and you know call the manager put in a a, a suggestion form or something like that us we just kind of be like yeah you know like, why I'm, should i deal with this <laughs> yeah like maybe i should just no nah, i'm good i, I yeah. just won't do that and maybe every one of them is like that and then it gets to the 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 seed has been planted. So now when everyone else asks, like, hey, man, I'm going to go to this brewery now. So it's just like, uh, you know what? I had this one time. I just remember, man, it was just so uncomfortable, like kind of being the only, you know, minority there. And then nobody kind of really assisted me or helped me, especially, you know, I went there with a group and then they met their friends and I wasn't part of it. And I was kind of this fly on the wall. I'm not I'm not going back. I'm good. Yeah, so that, that's what through conversations that was kind of something that always struck with me like that front of house staff well i mean to any interaction they're the front line but to diversity and inclusion they're the front line to building a more diverse fan base for craft brewing yeah no it makes it it makes it really tough but I don't know. I, I just kind of, I mean, it's hard for me to say because I'm just, I've been in this industry for so long. I've seen so many different, the pendulum has went so many directions for mm-hmm. me as far as being a consumer to brewing. I think I just, you know, shit, maybe even I'm not the right person. Well, yeah, Cause even you're looking at it from a different perspective than I'm looking at it from a totally different perspective from my counterparts who were new when I came in. Like I get the experience because I experienced it when I started, but where I'm at today, I'm on a totally different vibe to where it doesn't apply to me. Plus I just built that confidence too, to where like, dude, I really don't give a shit if I'm the yeah. only black person. I actually take advantage of that shit. Cause it's like, you ain't <laughs> gonna get me at a brewery if I'm the only one or a festival if I'm the only one, I promise that. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, give a rundown real quick of where people can find you and, um, the, the best places to follow you. Uh, I would say the best place you can follow me is going to be Instagram. I'm at the brew brother. That's B R O T H A 
on Instagram, but I would really love it if people will also follow the uh, Urban Jungle Brewing uh, journey as we start to get this brewery open. Again, it'll be the first Black-owned minority brewery in uh, Austin, Texas. Um, and I would love to have everyone follow that one. That is Urban Jungle Brew. Um, if you could follow both of those accounts, I will keep you updated with stories, uh, Instagram posts going live. And yeah, everything is going to start there. Uh, you can also uh, visit the website at urbanjunglebury.com as well to follow our story. At this very moment, we do have a Kickstarter. Uh, it is live until September 5th, 2020. So if anybody can share, pledge, or even just introduce someone to visit, that would be more than pre- more appreciated than ever. Like even if you can't pledge, just simply sharing that Kickstarter would mean so much to us at this time right now. Um, thank you so much for your time. I wish you all the success in urban jungle as possible. (laughs) Um, Hopefully someday I'll actually make it down to Austin. Um, Of course you will, bro. I got a special seat for you right right at the bar, bro. I was so excited whenever it was because I wanted to go to Austin forever. So like that was the perfect reason to just go. I was going to be able to make it a work trip. And it <laughs> then this happened. It was like soul crushing. Uh, so yeah, I mean, between uh, beer now and CBC, man, I think a lot of people are going to have their real true first Austin experience. And once you come to Austin, man, it is life changing if you've never been, man. Yeah, like I need to go to Austin Brew Works because he started out in Frederick, Maryland. I there's, there's so, man, they feeling it too. So um. I, I will definitely be there at some point because uh, it's it's definitely it's still at the very top of my places to go list now that I missed out on being able to go. Um, but then hopefully uh, you make it out to Maryland again sometime. Yeah, and I can sure. take you around to the Frederick breweries. Oh, yeah, that'd be dope. So man. We, we got oh, some really awesome ones. So thank you so much for your time. Um, and thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. Cheers. Cool. Cheers. Uncapped is brought to you with support from McClintock Distilling, Maryland's first and only organic certified distillery. They are well known for their award-winning gin and are rapidly growing a name for themselves for their matchstick bourbon and bootjack rye whiskey that have both won double gold at international spirits competitions. You can visit them in historic downtown Frederick along Carroll Creek for tours and tastings. Go to mcclintockdistilling.com for more information. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.